Um, we are in Exodus this morning. It probably says Colossians on the uh, flyer, but we finished Colossians last week and we're back to Exodus. Um, for those of you who are somewhat newer, uh, we've been in the New Testament for a while, but I like to go back and forth between the New Testament and the Old Testament when we started teaching a long time ago, Philippians, and then we went to Genesis, we did Genesis 1 through 11, and then back to the New Testament, and then Genesis, the life of Abraham. And we've kind of been working our way through, uh, worked through Genesis, and then said, well, let's go into Exodus. And we went to Exodus 1 through 20, and now we're back to Exodus. Um, there's a reason for going to the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives really um, the foundation for the New Testament. Um, Genesis 1 through 11 lays the foundation, helps us to understand even why Christ is coming, that we are sinful people who were created in the image of God, who have um, need for salvation, and you can trace all of the problems, all of the doctrines back to Genesis 1 through 11. And then as you go through the rest of the book, God continues to reveal himself. And so we get to Exodus, you go through Exodus, and we ended with the Ten Commandments, um, but that's actually right in the middle of uh, the book of the covenant that God is going to give to his people. And so um, we're gonna continue. Um, I've, uh, I don't know if I'm the right man to, to teach all of this, but there is so much richness in the Old Testament as you go through what's gonna be the rest of Exodus because it all points toward Jesus Christ. So uh, there's all this teaching on the tabernacle and on the clothing that the priests wear and on the, the utensils that are built. And you say, well, what possible value does that have for us today? Well, it all points forward to Christ. It all looks forward and and whether we're able to dig it all out, I don't know, but it all points forward to him. Um, and uh, you'll see that as we go through. I was gonna give a little teaser, well, maybe I will, on, on the tabernacle. Um, the, the tabernacle points to Christ. Christ came and tabernacled with us. And, and in a sense, he is the tabernacle. He is where, well, we'll get to that. But um, the tabernacle, they, they brought it, they, they built it, right? They carried it with them. And they had poles that went in the ground that held up the tabernacle and the tent, that go, I mean, the curtain that went around. Um, they didn't just stick those poles in the ground. They had um, a, 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 a block that they put a sleeve in and they put those posts down into that sleeve. So if we were doing it, what would we use? cement or concrete, yeah. We'd, we'd, we'd make a five gallon bucket of concrete, we'd put a sleeve in there, right? And we'd put it in just like you do with a, um, uh, what is it, um, tetherball, right? Then you pull it out. You know what those, those, uh, those um, bases were, were made out of? What was that? Silver? Nope, silver. They were silver. So why would you build the base of the temple out of silver. Well, when you come out after God redeemed his people out of Egypt, there was actually a tax that they paid, everybody over 20. They had to give so many shekels of silver. 
and it was called the redemption tax. He had bought them out of slavery. They took that money, melted it down, and built the base of the tabernacle out of that. The tabernacle was built on redemption. The base of the tabernacle is redemption, you see, and all of that is in there, and we just have to pull it out when we get there. So that's, um, that's a little foretaste of what's coming. Before we get there, we get to go through an exposition of the law. Um, we were given the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are uh, the foundation of that, the moral law, and we had spent time going through that, quite a bit of time. We spent one week on each commandment. Um, and then there is explanation of it. And that starts in chapter 20, verse uh, 22. Uh, excuse me, let me, yeah, verse 22. Um, and it goes for about three or four chapters. So you'll have things like, thou shalt not kill. Okay, well, what is killing? Well, uh, what about a man who's out working and his ax head flies off and kills somebody? Is that murder? And so what they do is they give a bunch of descriptive laws. And the descriptive laws say, if this happens, this is what you're supposed to do. And from that, a judge is supposed to then be able to figure out what to do in all sorts of cases. And that's very common. The Ten Commandments are not like that. There's no description. It's just, thou shalt not, or thou shalt, all right? Um, so what we're going to look at today is in Exodus 20, verse 22 through 26. Um, as far as we know, the Ten Commandments were written on stone. This is written on parchment. The people heard God speak the Ten Commandments, but Moses come and he speaks these words to the people. He reads the law to the people. And like I said, it goes through, and it includes all the stuff about the tabernacle and the garments, but the beginning of it talks about how to apply the laws of the, of the uh, Ten Commandments. So let's go ahead and read it. Um, starting at verse 22, and we're just going to do 22 through 26 today. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourself that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall make gods of silver. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Okay, um, so you say we don't build altars anymore. What possible use does this passage have for us? And you'll be surprised uh, how much is in this passage. Uh, he begins, uh, God begins by telling Moses, thus you shall say to the people, you have seen for yourself that I have talked with you from heaven. Okay, you have seen... that I talked with you, or I spoke with you from heaven. 
By the way, everybody remember the Ten Commandments? What's the other name for the Ten Commandments? Mosaic Law. Uh, Mosaic Law is more than just Ten Commandments. The Decalogue. What does Decalogue mean? No, log doesn't mean law. Word. The Ten Commandments is the ten words. Uh, it's what God spoke to the people. Now, I think this is an interesting turn of the phrase, don't you? What would you have said? See that word right there? You have seen. You have seen that I spoke with you from heaven. Wouldn't you have said you have heard? that I spoke with you from heaven? You have seen that I spoke with you from heaven. How did they see that he spoke with them from heaven? Was that? Yeah, it was, okay, a storm theophany. It's an amazing event that's taking place. If you just back up to verse 18, this is right after God has just said, you shall not covet and all the rest. And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the smoke, mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They had seen it. They had seen God speaking from heaven and they heard God speaking from heaven. And they said, please don't do that to us again. Just, just Moses, you go talk to him. I don't wanna, we don't wanna hear that anymore. This is an awesome event. And then God goes on and he says, um, Moses, this is in verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And then Moses goes back up. Um, this is actually, and I, I don't want to take too much time on this, but I think this is actually important, that, that God spoke from heaven. Um, I, I was really influenced when I was younger by a Christian philosopher, Francis Schaeffer. Some of you may have studied Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was working with the hippie generation, the people who came out of the 60s and the 70s, who had sort of thrown away everything that we had and were trying to rebuild and understand life. And uh, Francis Schaeffer realized that, that what they needed was what they had thrown away, but it needed to be presented to them in a form that they would understand it. If you just came and said, try what was there, you would have trouble with it. And, and uh, they, they wouldn't accept it. So he spent a lot of time trying to communicate the gospel to people who had rejected the gospel. And he, 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 um, he says something pretty profound. In fact, I went back and I, I reread the book. Well, I couldn't find it, so I ordered it. It's nice. You can just order a book online, uh, you know, download it and read it. So I didn't tell April. I spent $10 on the book, but um, it'll come through. So um, what he said is all of creation... All of the universe, everything that's the physical creation falls into different categories. They are either, um, they are either um, finite or infinite. Everything in the universe, finite or infinite. Of course, only God is over here. 
<clears throat> but then he said, everything also fits into either being personal or impersonal. And by personal, he means um, th that you not only have personality, but you have moral free agency. You know what's right and wrong, and you can, you can make choices. He said, man is unique over here, not talking about the angels. Man is the only finite personal being in the universe. We are sort of alone in that. Everything else, all the rest of creation is down here. Now, I know some of you have dogs, and you want to put the dog up here with personality, but your dog doesn't know right from wrong. Sorry. He just doesn't. He really doesn't. But we can talk about that later, okay? Um, you just have to go with it. And he said, here's what everybody did. They ran, ran away from the infinite personal God, and they started chasing after Hinduism or New Age philosophy. Uh, this is the person who says, I'm spiritual but not religious. Um, in, in my day, this was the force in Star Wars, right? An impersonal, infinite thing. And he said, the problem with this is that gives man no reference point to give us meaning. Absolutely no reference point. So what man needs is an infinite God who is also personal. And that's where our God would fall. He says, our God is, is infinite, so it gives us a way to understand where we are in the universe, our place. But he said he's also personal. And he said, how do we know he's personal? And the answer is because he speaks to us. He speaks to us. Um, and the title of the book is, that I downloaded is, He is There and He is Not Silent. God speaks to his people. He said, God could be finite, infinite, and personal and never speak to us, and we would know nothing about God. We wouldn't know anything about him, but he speaks to us. And so when I saw this, you have seen that I spoke from you with you. Where did I speak? From heaven. I'm the infinite God, but I'm communicating with you, and I'm telling you exactly what you need to know. That's actually a fairly profound statement. You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Okay? Now, I'll take comments there. I'm worried about running out of time for the rest of the passage. Any? By the way, I know that was pretty philosophical, but I tried to keep it short. Okay? So it's just an interesting thing that we take for granted uh, that God speaks. And God, of course, ultimately speaks to us through his son, but he's also given us all, the, all what he says. And if you think about the Bible, what does it say over and over again? And God said to so-and-so, and God said to Moses, and God said to Isaiah, and the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and the word of the Lord comes to us because that's the God that we serve. Okay? Now, second part of this, he's now going to talk about altars. But before he does that, he reminds them, you shall make gods, you shall, I keep saying that, you shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. And if you go back to Genesis, I mean to Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4, this is a restatement of the first two commands. He says, you shall know, have no other gods before me, um, actually, that word before me can also mean beside me. 
And he said, don't make any gods of silver to be with me. God, I don't share uh, who I am. I am God alone. And then it goes on, of course, to say, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Um, so God is going to reiterate that first command, first and second commands. No other gods beside me, no idols. Now, we talked about this back at the time. Um, I doubt if there's anybody in this room who's ever built an idol. Maybe I'm wrong. Anybody ever, I, no, you wouldn't tell me if you did. Um, no, nobody has built an idol. We don't make idols. And so this is like, wh what does that have to do with us? Well, we do build idols. I think it was John Calvin who said, the heart of man is an idol factory. You are constantly making idols and we have to keep smashing them down. And there's a lot of ways you can do that, but one of them is to ignore the entire counsel of the Word of God. So you have somebody who will say, and you can always hear it coming, well, I just like to think of God as this. Well, the problem is the Bible doesn't give us that option. We aren't allowed to just think of God as our conception of God. The, the problem with an idol is really simple. You, you build an idol, of course it's not God, but you're trying to emphasize some characteristic of God in your, in your picture of God. And by doing that, you exclude everything else. So uh, you may even be mistaken in what you think you're presenting, but you at least are probably making an idol that is representing something good. So you think back, what was the idol that the people made? the golden calf. Why would you build a calf to represent God? Well, okay, maybe they had seen a calf, the Egyptians having a calf as an idol. Okay. So it, it could be that God is, we see God at work among us, perhaps. I've always wondered if it isn't because of the strength of an, of an ox or a, a calf. Uh, not a calf, but they had just gotten to know their God, and so this is going to grow up into be a, a strong bull. But it's all speculation. We don't know why they did it, but whatever they did, let, let's, let's just assume it's the symbol of work or it reminds them they're Egyptian gods or it's the symbol of strength and power. You know, you miss a lot with a cow, right? A bull. He's really strong, but he's really stupid. He's really strong, but he has no, uh, there's no holiness there. And everything we do that says, I like to think of God and put him in this box outside of what he's communicated to us is, is idolatry of some sort. Um, oftentimes we put ourselves in that place where we elevate ourselves, we're our own idol. Um, years ago at um, chapel, at Emmanuel, um, there was a number of boys who would, um, they were really great guys and they, they made a big difference in the school. But they, were, they did this, and you probably remember it, where they would say, God is good. Everybody knows it, right? All the time and all the time, God is good. And we charted every chapel with that. So it's really cool. So I'm telling a friend of mine who's a, kind of a thinker, and he said, I don't know if I like that. 
And I said, why? God is good all the time. He goes, yeah, but God is just all the time. And God is wrathful towards sin all the time. And God, and he starts listing off all these attributes. He says, why not start chapel? God is just all the time. And all the time God is just. And God is wrathful all the time. And all the time God is wrathful. Why? Because we like to think of God as good. And, and I'm not saying that that was idolatry, but it comes into that frame where we say, I like my picture of God. And God is saying, no, you can't make an idol of me. Anything that you form and conceive uh, of me is probably incorrect because we are not infinite and he is. Okay, now look at the altars that are going to be built. Because ultimately this is a section on laws about altars. <coughs> it says, you are going to worship an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your, your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be uh, be not exposed on it. By the way, that last little verse, let me just mention that. Um, well, many of you probably know this, but if you built stairs going up to the altar, the priests wore their robes, and as far as we understand, there was no undergarments. So as you would walk up, all the people watching could look up and see your nakedness. So no steps, ramps. We, we don't want anybody walking up and exposing themselves as they go up. Um, we, we may get I just wanted to mention that verse because that's thrown in there. So um, stairs were a little bit of a problem. Uh, God gives us laws about altars. There's two altars that he mentions, an altar of earth and an altar of stones. Um, let's start with the altar of stones. Uh, what does an altar of stones look like? Pyramid. Might be a pyramid. It's a pile of rocks, right? Might be arranged somewhat, but it's a pile of rocks. You can't cut the rocks. You can't put any tool on the rock because if you do that, you profane the altar. Yeah. So, so I, to, I don't know if it would be a pyramid because they had to manufacture Well, they may have just started though with kind of a square base and built because if, if you try and build a pile of rocks, you can't build it straight up. It, it's gonna it's gonna go like that, and you're gonna have probably a flat top on top for your for your sacrifice. So I don't think you mean a pyramid like a smooth pyramid. You just mean a square base that kind of works its way up. Yeah, it's going to be the shape of a pyramid. Yeah. I they don't want it to look like Egyptian. Yeah. About a yeah, kind of a pedestal. If you can, but that would be kind of careful. You'd have to stack those rocks up. Um, but you guys are overthinking this. <laughs> to me, it's a pile of rocks. <laughs> It's a, it's a pile of rocks. You can't, you can't do anything but stack rocks up, okay? And the, the earthen one is a pile of dirt, okay? And anything that touches that to make it um, where, where man's handiwork goes into building this profanes it and, 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 and ruins it, okay? Um, God says it'll profane it. It's no longer an altar. 
It's no longer a holy place. I think there's a number of principles that come out of, of this passage. First of all, this is something that comes out all through the Old Testament. God determines how he is to be worshipped. It's God's decision how he is to be worshipped. Okay? Now, we'll have principles laid out in the Bible. But he says, I don't, I don't want you touching my altar. I don't want you prettying it up. I don't want you somehow um, thinking that because it's a nicer looking altar that it means something more than it does. In fact, you do that and you profane it. God determines how he is to be worshipped. Okay, yeah, we, t we take away something away. And, and that's what's, when you're profaning it, you're taking something away from it. Um, now, <clears throat> we don't build altars anymore. Um, we don't go up onto altars and offer sacrifices. We have one sacrifice that's been paid for sin, right? And that's, of course, Jesus Christ. Um, I, I think the principle here, even though we don't build altars anymore, is a very simple principle, and that is... Um, uh, you cannot add anything to the, to the offering that God has already made. We can apply this to Jesus Christ. You cannot add anything to the sacrifice for sin that has been, that has been paid. I know that's not the exact same in terms of altar, but the idea was God says, this is how I'm to be worshipped. This is where I'm to be worshipped. Don't add anything to it. Jesus Christ comes and dies for us. You can't add anything to that. Anything that we add to Christ's sacrifice for us profanes it. Anything that we add to Christ's sacrifice profanes it. Uh, think of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is when the, the Jews, not the Jews, the Judaizers came in and said, if you want to worship Christ, that's fine, but you need to be circumcised and you need to obey the law. And what does Paul call that? He says, that's anathema. Let them be accursed. It's, and he says that this is not another gospel. Uh, it's not a, a different gospel. It's not even a gospel. There's no good news. You come along and try and add anything to what God has determined for how we come to God which is through Jesus Christ alone, and you profane his, his, uh, his sacrifice. Uh, you actually lessen its value. You say, I need to add my works to it. Well, then your works become as important as his sacrifice. Um, Rod, looks like you're ready to. Well, the pile of rocks is not sinful, but when we as men are sinful, how can we as sinful add something yeah, well, and, and if we did take the rocks and we cut it and we make this beautiful altar, what do we end up worshiping? <laughs> our, yeah, our own skill in having done that. We've added something. 
And it's exactly what happens when people add things, when we add things, I shouldn't say people, we tend to do it too, add things to Christ's sacrifice. We forget that, that we can never be holy, and yet we want to bring something that we think is holy. Yeah, yeah there's an interesting uh, kind of parallel passage to this. It seems, doesn't seem quite like it, but remember when David is moving the ark? Remember that? And he's putting on a cart, which by the way, isn't the way God said that it's supposed to be moved. And it starts to fall off. And I forget his name, some of you will remember it. The guy reaches out and tries to stop the, holy, the, the Ark of the Covenant from falling. And what happens? He's dead. And David is really upset. You see, I, 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 I think he thought if this falls and touches the ground, it's gonna be profane. It's going to fall into the dirt. The dirt doesn't profane it. It's the hand of man that profanes it. It was, it was that man touching it that, that profaned it. And God says, that's it. Boom, that person's gone. Um, a dramatic act of judgment upon God. Um, I, I knew a man uh, years ago who was, I think, you guys will have to help me, those of you who are from Nazarene. I don't know if he's Nazarene. I think he was Church of God. And they believed that you could not be saved unless you were baptized. Could not be saved unless you were baptized. Um, and we had a lot of arguments. I had a lot of arguments with him until I realized that arguing was doing no good. So we stopped arguing about it. But when I found it out, I was just, and by the way, just so you know, I think every Christian should be baptized. Um, it's, it's part of obedience to our Lord. He says that we're to be baptized. But he actually made the statement that if you were saved on Friday and you were going to be baptized on Sunday and on Saturday you died of a heart attack, you went to hell. Okay? Because you weren't baptized. And he had a verse, um, believe and be baptized and you will be saved. He said, and I told him, you, you're profaning the work of Christ. You're saying that your act of obedience in baptism is as important as the death of Jesus Christ. And we tend to do that, and, and you'll find as you go through life, you swing between legalism and, and then um, where you start setting up your rules for yourself and feeling like you're adding something to what Jesus is doing.
Yeah, and that's the last point that we were going to get to. So I haven't, I haven't missed that one, but that's a perfect segue into what we're doing. Thank you, Kirk. That is, was stated perfectly. God is, and that's why when, when I put up that God determines how he's to be worshipped. Uh, God determines how he comes, how we come to him, and he is the initiator always. But that, that last part is really critical in verse uh, 24. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Here's what's important about the altar. It's not that we built it. It's not that you decide it. It's that God causes his name to be remembered there. What makes that altar important? It's that God chooses for his name to be remembered at that spot. It's his decision that at this place, blessing will flow. It's here that my name will be remembered. Now, at this point, he hasn't told them where his name is to be remembered. If you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 12, this is the end of the law. They're just about to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 12, um, um, verse 21, he's telling them, you're going to go in and you're going to eat meat and you're going to do all this. He says, if the place that the Lord your God will choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill any of your herd or your flock, which the Lord has given to you as I've commanded and so on. Um, the point is that God is going to choose a place where his name is going to be remembered. Uh, what is that place? Where's his name to be remembered? I think it's Jerusalem, right? Now, eventually it settles on Jerusalem. There's only one place to go to worship God, and that was Jerusalem. That's where he made his name to be remembered. Now, that's an amazing thing. Over the whole face of the earth, you want to worship God. Where is God's name going to be remembered? It's in Jerusalem. You remember the story of the woman at the well, right? She's talking with Jesus and Jesus asks her the question about, you know, she's kind of debating with him and asks the question about the, you know, go call your husband. He says, she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and you're living with a man right now and he's not your husband. And she decides to change the subject. Uh, and what does she change the subject to? I have a religious question for you, Jesus. You, you, the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And, and I, our people say we're supposed to worship on this mountain in Samaria. Who's right? And you know what's interesting is Jesus tells her point blank, you're wrong. She says, you worship what you don't know. But we worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. The answer to the question is, you're wrong, we're right. Why? Because that's where God's name was to be remembered. Any place I cause my name to be remembered. But then what does Jesus say? In fact, we ought to go there. John chapter 4. Exactly, exactly. Jesus takes that principle that God's name is going to be remembered, and he breaks that wide open. So in John chapter 4, um, in fact, let's just, let's just start at verse, 
19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So something's going to change. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, the New Testament brings an entire, this is why the, the, the rules about altars don't apply to us. We don't build altars anymore. You know why? Because the work has been done in us. God has caused his name to be remembered in you. Right? We all know the verse. You are the temple of God. Every Christian is called by his name. Every Christian is a, a, is a place where God's name is remembered. Every Christian is blessed because God causes blessing to flow where his name is remembered. We can be really happy that we live in this time where we don't have to get on a plane and fly to Jerusalem to worship. But, but understand, if you had been living before Christ came, that's exactly what you would have had to do because that was where his name was to be remembered. But his name is now remembered in us. And that's why the sacrifice that he made for us cannot be added to or taken away from. We don't have to build that altar, but we don't, but we don't add anything to what he's done for us. And, and, and everything he's done, like Kirk said, is as a result of his initiative. He's the one who chose you to be a place where his name would be remembered. And let's not forget, he chose you as a place where God is worshiped. You are to be worshiping God constantly. Um, I hate to tell you, but the little theater is not the place where God causes his name to be remembered. When we build our brand new building, wonderful as it'll be, that's not the place where God's name will be remembered. Where is his name going to be remembered? In, in us. It's in us that his name is remembered. And it's the blessing that flows. And, and so the laws of altars don't apply directly, but they do in the wider context. And that's where Christ takes everything in Exodus and amplifies it. We, we see the true meaning of what, you, what God is saying. Adrian. Yeah, because they have to get there. Yeah. And you remember Daniel when he was in exile. What does he do? He faces Jerusalem and he prays every day because he, he, he wants to be oriented toward the place where his name, God's name is remembered. And it was only in Jerusalem. In us, yeah. And his, his name is remembered in us and 
and hopefully that influences or impacts the people around us. So. I, I did spend a whole lot of time on the nakedness part, but because uh, <laughs> the other stuff was, but, but it could be true. Yes, yes. Um, I, there, there's, anyways, any other comments before we close? Because we're out of time. Okay, let's go ahead and pray.